0: As we know, on Memorial Day from a nearby street, the sin of racism was thrust to center stage with global impact. The flashpoint was the graphic recording of the inhumane treatment of a black man struggling to breathe under the knee of a white police officer. And yesterday, we celebrated the 244th anniversary of our nation's independence. In the intervening weeks between these national summer holidays, we've witnessed a level of societal upheaval that I'm not sure that we've seen for half a century. As a Christian man today, speaking to a Christian church, we realize that this tumultuous response finds many roots in the soil of unredeemed hearts. Human depravity feeds so many of the self-righteous accusations that we hear. The self-assured declarations, the violent demonstrations, and solutions that defy logic. And so often simply scoff at God. But the gospel-preaching church is no mere spectator to this depravity. We are fast becoming one of its targets. Evidence is mounting that the grand agenda is less about ending racism and far more about ending America as we have known it. Exhibit 1. The toppling of George Washington's statue our first president, defaced with graffiti reading genocidal colonist. Exhibit 2, the toppling of the statues of Abraham Lincoln and U.S. Grant, presidents who did more to end slavery and fight racism than any other presidents in history. Now of course, and we recognize holy, Washington, Lincoln, Grant, were imperfect men whose lives did not align with today's approved dogma. How could they? Of course they did not. But such acts of vandalism unveil an agenda that's not merely to root out racism. If you're going to start anywhere, this is probably the last place that you would start. If that was the whole agenda. The agenda is to wipe out the memory of America that activists long to thoroughly now reconstruct. In Eden Baptist Church, there is a short distance between toppling historic statutes and destroying churches. It's not a long line of reasoning. All that remains is for activists to insist that the Christian church is a contributor systemic racism, a position which is already being proclaimed. Now, I gather with the Church of Jesus Christ today, and so my comments are directed to us as his people, but we know that there is no connection between the Christian church and racism, biblically speaking. We know that the new birth leads us to denounce all forms of unloving hatred, racial discrimination, systemic oppression of any group of people anywhere on earth. We know that Jesus calls us to love all people, even our enemies, and to cross every divide in this world in order to bring the bread of life to them. We know that we are members of a universal family that will gather in eternity at the feet of a Savior of Middle Eastern descent and among a throng of worshipers in which white-skinned people will be a minority. We know that. We understand that. We rejoice in God's plan that way. And then, let's look for a moment in the other direction. We also know that the world's methods of solving racism are hopelessly misguided and destined for failure. We know It's ridiculous to think systemic transformation can be affected by social and economic schemes that ignore the corruption of the human heart, that do not deal with the fact that deep within the soul of fallen man is hatred and pride and selfishness and greed and fear. We leave those things alone And we've got no answers. As long as such sins remain rooted in hearts, people will harm people. Along racial lines and along every other line that they can find. Whatever happens to present itself becomes that line. When race is an issue, when race is not an issue. Because there is hatred that is deeply rooted in the heart. We know Ephesians 4 and verse 18. We identify with Ephesians 4 and verse 18 because we were there. We understand that the lost are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of the heart. What hardened hearts need is to become soft. And only the new birth can soften the heart and transform the soul. And every other method will ultimately fail. We know this. But the question I'd like to chase here today is, how should we respond as God's people to a world alienated from Him and a world that seems, in our world, increasingly hostile to the church we face nothing like our brothers and sisters in other parts of the country other parts of the world I should say maybe in some other parts of the country as well but we we don't face that but we do sense the hostility and I'd like us to turn to first Peter 2 verses 11 and following and I'd like to consider this text and I'll I'll say this up front as a one-time sermon In fact, I filed this with my 4th of July sermons. It went with the other one (laughs) in 30 years. This is the second. Uh, So it's not something we do very commonly, but I do want to look with an eye trained on application to the racial upheaval, to the emerging hostility toward followers of Jesus Christ that we're witnessing in our day. So if you're following me, we're seeing racism out there out front but I believe there's a lot more to it. I believe that there is a systemic, a systematic attempt to reconstruct and reinvent America. And with that will be some very blind application to the church of Jesus Christ. So I'm looking at it from that angle and much of the application today will be from that angle. So let's get back into the book of 1 Peter, addressing Christians living in a a world hostile to their faith. Peter labors to remind us of the transforming power of the gospel in the lives of the redeemed. We are begotten again by God through His Word. We are born anew to taste and see the goodness and the beauty of the Lord. We identify with Jesus Christ, the chosen cornerstone who ransomed us with His precious blood, and we look forward to an eternal inheritance awaiting Christ's return. The summary of that comes in chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of, for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once, You were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's his conclusion to this new life that we have in Christ. Now at verse 11, Peter transitions to counsel us in how to live in the face of a hostile world, a world hostile to God's people. So as he deals with this opposition, with this hostility, he starts with who we are in Christ. This is all important. The transformation that has taken place in our hearts now leads to a way of responding to this hostility. And I think we can easily say that these who are receiving this epistle were facing far greater hostilities than we are in our setting. But first of all, as he counsels them and therefore us, the first idea is to exemplify the moral purity that is befitting citizens of heaven. We are to exemplify the moral purity that befits citizens of heaven. Notice verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We notice, first of all, that we should see ourselves as a resident alien on earth. Verse 11. He speaks to them as sojourners and exiles. Who are sojourners? What are sojourners and exiles? They're temporary residents living in a land that is not their own for a limited time with plans to return home. That's how you're to see yourself, Christian, Peter says. That's how we are to see ourselves in this land. Temporary residents living in a land that is not their own for a limited time with plans to return home. So my identity as an American should reflect the sense that this land is only my temporary home. My chief loyalty is to Christ, and my chief loyalty is to his kingdom. Let's take two residents of a condominium complex in Washington, D.C. The first is a young foreign diplomat. He's on assignment for a period of time. And the second is a middle-aged woman who has lived in this condo her entire life and wants to die here. The homeowners association imposes some very annoying, draconian measures, invasive rules that severely compromise the freedom of the residents. How do these two residents respond? Well, the young diplomat says, well, whatever. I'm going to be here for a short time. I can put up with this until I, until I head home. But this other woman, how does she respond? I mean, she needs counseling, right? This, this is really bad for her because this is her place where she wants to die. This is her home. As we think of just that scenario and apply it to our situation here, how do we look to this world? Do we look like the diplomat that says, well, whatever, my home is elsewhere? Or do we look like this woman and say, everything's right here. This is my world. This is my home. How do we respond? I think we should adopt the, at least the perspective of the young diplomat. Now, the objection will be raised here. This is just escapism. You're calling people to abandon their country, to not fight racism and, or any other problem in, this, in your nation. That's that's what this reasoning is leading us to. Without getting into a long argument against that objection, I'll just quote C.S. Lewis, who I think hit it with one sentence. Because we love something else more than this world, we love even this world better than those who know no other. It is by knowing the world to come. It is by knowing the risen Christ and knowing that heaven is our home. It's by knowing that, that we love this world the way it should be loved. To fight racism as if there is no heavenly kingdom, no final accounting before Christ's throne is delusional and it's ultimately futile. See yourself as a resident alien on earth. View yourself that way as Christ's child. Secondly, resist the sinful desires of your heart. This flows very naturally to the new, in the new life. Beloved, urging you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the f- passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Born against servants of Christ, battle immoral passions that corrupt the heart. Enlightened by God's Word, we recognize that there are feelings, that there are cravings that entice our heart to break the law of God. And we battle those temptations. We do not always win, and we confess our sin. But we go to war against those temptations, against those cravings. We say no, and we say yes in resistance to sinful things we want to do and say and believe and feel. Go to war. Resist sinful desires. And thirdly, display honorable conduct in society. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Battling sin in our hearts provides then the foundation for living an honorable life in public. And we are to live it in public. We're to live public lives, not isolated lives that hide from the world about us. We're to live as salt and light so that they see our good deeds and glorify God. Not that we're showing off to them, but we're bringing glory to God by living the new life that He's given us. So we're to display honorable conduct in the society we inhabit. Now we must expect unjust criticism. From our world. He speaks here of when they speak against you as evildoers. They look at one who's fighting lust and sin in the heart every day. Who's striving to conform to the law of God. Walking in fellowship with Jesus Christ in this new birth. They see that and say, you're an evildoer. You're a bad person. You're part of the problem in this world. That we are to expect. But how are we to respond? What we should use to silence such criticism is more deeds than words. Words have their place. They are absolutely essential to the proclamation of the gospel. But we start with deeds, he says here. Selfless dealings, honest speech, fair prices, respectful interactions. To put to silence the accusations, false as they are, by the way that we live our lives. To live out the new life Christ has given us, not to join in on the sin. So while unbelievers may accuse us of contributing to systemic racism, let's come back to that pointed application. They should also be able to come in among us as a church and to see the warmest of welcomes to ethnic minorities. They should witness the unifying power of the gospel in the display of racial harmony. They should see a body of believers working cross-culturally throughout the world to serve a kingdom that's not of this world. And they should see in our love for one another across every relational divide the beauty of Christ's blood-bought household of faith. So critical Quick, critical judgment brought into the assembly, brought into the life of a Christian family, soon gets quieted by what they see. This is the point when Peter says that they will see your good deeds. They will see not a perfect life, but they will see someone who has been transformed. They will see a church that has been changed. So keeping your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So the the goal is that our lives would provide no hindrance, no impediment to an unbeliever's attraction to Christ. You see this day of visitation, that is the day that it dawns on an unbeliever that Jesus is Lord and Savior. That his gift of salvation is now mine, that I have become part of his family. On that day of visitation, they're not hindered by looking at the way we talk, the way we live our lives, the sin, the lies, or the disunity of an assembly of believers. On that day of visitation, everything comes into sync, and those that they once criticized, they now join. William Barclay says, every Christian is an advertisement for Christianity. By his life, he either commends Christianity to others, or he makes others think less of Christianity. The strongest missionary force in the world is a Christian life. May we take it to heart. At verse 13, there is a shift in focus. And Peter calls his followers as The Spirit calls us today to honor the governing authorities as citizens of earth. We're to exemplify the moral purity befitting citizens of heaven. While living here, we're to honor the governing authorities. Verse 13 Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by them to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. This refers to the rule of law. God instituted the rule of law and that rule is embodied in the legal structures and the policing efforts of a society. Now notice here that it is for the Lord's sake, not because they're so perfect, or they do everything right, but it is for the Lord's sake that we are to honor the laws and the law enforcers of our land. Whether the emperor, governors, sent to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. This is at least the intention In every nation under the sun, authorities punish those who do good and praise those who do evil to varying degrees. But under common grace, this is more the exception than the rule. Even nations who systematically oppress Christians, and we have missionaries in such nations, and we have visited such nations, and in those nations, against Christianity in their very laws and rules, They nonetheless prosecute murderers and robbers and human traffickers and illicit drug dealers and the like. They seek to oppose what is wrong. And under the common grace of God, they generally get it right. They stop a lot of sin. No nation's laws are perfect, and no human ruler is ever perfectly just or without fault. But we are called here by God not to stand in judgment of them first, and of course there's a place for that, but first to orient our lives towards submitting to them. Why? Verse 15. Here's why. Because, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We see where Peter's going. He's connecting right back to verse 12. This is the point of living a righteous life, is to demonstrate what God has done in saving you as light to those in the darkness who need that light and will be transformed as they trust the gospel. So angry crowds can torch and pillage a city while accusing the church as a contributor to systemic racism. This happens. But that angry message is silenced in those burned-out neighborhoods to actual people who live there as Christians help the locals recover from the damage caused by marauders long gone. As prayers are lifted and support is passed on, it is silence when our neighbors see us blessing our families and building up our neighborhoods and obeying the law. Many critics can come out and say anything that they want, but in the trenches of life, in the neighborhoods where we live, slowly over time, people say, by the grace of God, there is a beautiful life. There is a family. There is a couple. There is a single adult that shines the light of Christ. I got no time for Christianity. I despise so much of its history and what it's about, but I can't argue with that family. I can't argue with that church. Those are good people. That's Peter's counseling here, saying move in that direction. Again, there is no police force that is perfect, and there is no place in any police force for unfair treatment of any minority group anywhere on earth. Nor is there any place for any Christian to oppose, resist, and disrespect law enforcement. So no police force is without need of improvement. In fact, I wonder if there isn't some interesting help here that they praise those who do good. Perhaps there's some growth that could take place among police in our day, in our setting, the way that we're structured to spend more time praising those who do good. But that being said, we must recognize that police officers are sent by God to punish those who do evil. And that is a gift. To suggest the termination of police forces is no answer to racism. It's not not accomplish anything. It is defiance of God, what it is ultimately. And I don't mean by that that a police force must look the way it does. All that aside, what this is, is a rebellion against a God of law and order and grace. So to suggest the termination of police forces is really defiance of God that will lead to more human suffering, not less. So we should applaud movement toward improved and just policing in our communities. Why would we not be behind that? Of course we're behind that all the time as the followers of Christ. But we must also respect law enforcement officers as servants of God who fight depravity and uphold order so that we flourish as a society. Honor God by submitting to the governing authorities. Sorry about my spacing here, I'm out of practice. But serve God by freely doing good to all. That's the last point there, 16-17. Serve God by freely doing good to all. We see this verse 16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Verse 16, our master is not the state, our master is Jesus. In Christ, we're free to submit to His law and to advance His kingdom. And so, in some sense, we have a level of immunity here. In some sense, we are free to live as we choose. But we must not use this freedom, though we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, and that's our orientation, we should not use that freedom as a cover or pretext for disobeying legitimate laws of man. Rather than breaking man's law, we are to serve God. In what sense, Peter? Verse 17, honor everyone. All people are made in the image of God. We're to honor ethnic minorities, certainly. It's a given. We're not to take them for granted. We're not to use positions of power to harm or hinder them. We are to honor people like us and people different from us all the the same. We're to honor the young and the old, the rich and the poor, men and women, the healthy and the infirm, the educated and the uneducated the same. They're made in the image of God. Honor. Honor everyone as is appropriate in the situation honor everyone we should love the unsaved as well and then of course secondly love the brotherhood that only follows a reference to the love of fellow brothers and sisters in christ to fear god to know that he sees all that we do, that we must stand someday before his throne, that his will is ultimate, and that fearing man is thus utter folly. Fear God first, and all else will fall together, and honor the emperor, who was not, by the way, a nice guy. Was not a moral, upright, standing citizen of the Roman Empire. But he was in that place for now, and God put him there. So honor him that way. All of it connected to this phrase in verse 13, for the Lord's sake. Not because it's your political party, not because you agree with the policy, not because the person lives a charactered life. For the sake of the Lord, for the glory of his name, for the cause of the gospel, honor the Emperor. Well, as we know, we're seeing many birth pangs right now, are we not? We've sung of that this morning. The birth pangs of a broken world. A world that sees sin, sometimes with 2020 vision, but has utterly no idea of what it actually is or how to solve it. The diagnosis is wrong, and so the solution is wrong we recognize this we see the nations raging against christ knowingly or unknowingly they do the new york city council i think this week i read it six times so i think it's right so forgive me if i'm wrong but they they want to take one billion dollars from the police well, that'll solve racism right there, you know. That'll just take care of it like that. Just take a billion dollars away. I think that's the number. We see this autonomous zone on the other coast. No need for police. No need for the rule of law here. Until they started tallying the rapes, what was being stolen, and finally gave up when two teenagers were murdered. It's just, it's, it's utter insanity. And we know this. We see the birth pangs, the broken world of the calls to tear down the white Jesus statues. And I say, well, have at it. It don't mean anything to us. You didn't probably look like that at all. And they're usually in churches that we don't care if they lose their statues. I'm being facetious. We shouldn't be damaging property. But who cares about a white Jesus? But we understand what's behind that. It's not a white Jesus, it's Jesus. That's the offense. And that's the concern that we have as those ties begin to be drawn and people with clouded minds, not understanding what we know that we reviewed over and again this morning, not knowing what we know draw these false conclusions. And I think we should prepare for that. And how should we live? Here it is in this outline before you. It isn't some other thing now that we come up with as American Christians that's brand new. We are suffering with the cause of Christ as his followers have for 2,000 years. And here's how we move forward. We live a Christian life and we cling to Christ we say with the song that we have sung, the soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, says the Lord, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I will never, never forsake. That's our hope. That's our citizenship. That's our mission. To live out the life of Christ faithfully. A lot of times it's going to mean we keep our mouths quiet and a lot of times it's going to mean we speak. But we keep our heads down with our eyes focused ultimately on the end, not on this broken world. How do we pursue? Beloved, here it is. I urge you, As sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. In Christ, not using that freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Here's what you do, Christian honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor who killed his Savior and who would kill him. We can't do this if we're not citizens of another home. But Peter was. He is there. And through the Spirit, his words come to us. Live the life of Christ faithfully. Father, we thank you for this word. I pray that we'd be faithful to it. There's a lot we don't understand that we don't know. May we not join our voices with the proud who think they have everything figured out. But Father, we do thank you for this word that is so stabilizing. We thank you for an apostle who gave his life for the cause of Christ and knew that it wasn't about him. It was about the message of that gospel and who adorned it to the very end of his life. We praise you and we exalt together in the work that you did in Peter's life to transform him and to keep him faithful to the end, never denying you again. Lord, may we not deny you. May we not deny you by looking at this world's trials in a wrong way or seeking to pursue solutions that are going to do no more than swirl around and accomplish nothing. May we not be critical of those blinded by sin who concoct the craziest of ideas, knowing, Lord, that they don't have a Lord but themselves, or some false god that's destroying their soul. May we announce the message of Jesus crucified and risen, where justice was served at the cross, where reconciliation has been won, and where there is the only answer to the reconciliation of enemies and of people different from one another. Lord, we rejoice at the unity of the body of Christ. We celebrate it today, and I pray that you would deepen and grow our capacities to reach across every divide and to bring the gospel of Christ to bear in the lives of all that we meet. If all they do is see us, but we're given freedom that they would hear us and that we would announce this reconciling glory. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen.